seven of the All the Book Show recorded at the David A. Hale Public Library, where we talk book news, author news, and literary news, and sometimes author interviews. Sometimes. I'm Eric Michaels. And I'm Nick Gunning. Uh, you know what's funny? Before we started recording, you were like, 187, 187. Then you started recording, you were like, we're nursing. Yeah. And that's not even a number. I don't know what happened with that number yet. I don't either. But you know what I do know what happened with? What? Our <laughs> author interview. Oh. This is... <laughs> this is sure. A, we, we had a chat on Friday with uh, Elizabeth Elo, author of Finding Katerina M. Elizabeth is our first repeat author guest. Yeah. She first uh, joined us for the show uh, in episode 132 Ooh. when the book club was doing her uh, debut novel, North of Boston, right? Uh, which I was a big fan of and mm-hmm. equally enjoyed Finding Katerina M. So we sat down with her on the phone and had a great chat, which we're going to get into a little later. The book is out uh, March 19th, so tomorrow as we record, and I highly recommend it. It's a good, quick, uh, I mean, it's a fast-paced read, so definitely check that out. And we're going to talk to her a little bit later. Plus, we've got some awards we want to mention and all sorts of stuff. Eric's got to tell you about G.I. Joe's. We've got a chocked full full episode What was the last volume of G.I. Joe I talked about? Four? four? Oh, I guess I do have something. Yeah, I figured. (laughs) I figured. All right. All right, let's dive in. You ready to do bookmark? Sure. Okay. Uh, Would you like me to go first? Yeah, open up your little annotated Bible there. Thank you. No, it's just a little <laughs> blue notebook. That's all. Uh, here we go. Annotated Bibles are huge. I don't uh, think you can lift I don't an know annotated Bible with one hand. I don't know what I was, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking of that. Anyway. Uh, all right. It's like a so devotional. I read American Marriage by Tiari Jones. You remember that one? It was on the bestseller list for a long time. And it's about uh, the synopsis was know like... It. I'm living it. Ah. Sorry. The synopsis was about how they're married, but the husband goes away to prison for 12 years. Right. Remember that? Yeah. It was an Oprah book club pick last year. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. I've had it on hold for a long time. Right. And it finally came in. And so I read it and I really enjoyed it. I've not read this author before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is basically the uh, the plot that I just told you there. Oh. A newlywed couple have been married about a year. The husband um, gets arrested for a crime that, that uh, he claims he's innocent of and is mm-hmm. sent to prison. Mm-hmm. So... Then they have to deal with it. Okay, it was good. It was good. It was. Uh, it's really. It's split between three different characters: the husband, wife, and the wife's um, childhood best friend. Oh. Each one of them takes a turn, kind of narrating the story as it goes along. Mm-hmm. And the audiobook has three separate narrators. Ooh. As you know, an audiobook can make or break it by the readers. That's that true. Has. Yeah. And we are going to talk a little bit about that later because the audio awards were announced. That's right. So I do recommend American Marriage by T.R.E. Jones. Check that out. Okay. Um, I sort of, on the next book here, uh, Superman Dawnbreaker uh, by Matt De La Pena, Newbery Award-winning author. Ooh. Matt De La Pena, might I just say. Yeah, you can. Um, this one was just kind of a wash. It was like, yeah, that was fine. Cool. My biggest problem mm-hmm. was the uh, original characters to classic Superman sure. character ratio. Oh, yeah. It had like extra characters and I just think, well, why Why isn't that just Lana or why isn't that just Lex? Like, why are you mm. Why are you adding this layer? So I thought that kind of yeah. took away from it a little bit. Because that Batman book had that. Did it? Yeah, a lot of original characters. Yeah. Harvey Dent and Alfred were there. So this is part of a four a four book, so far a four book series. You have yeah. Catwoman uh, by Sarah J. Maas. Mm-hmm. You have um, Superman Dawnbreaker, Matt De La Pena. Who wrote the Batman? Do you remember? Yep, Marie Lou. Marie Lou. And then what's the last one I'm forgetting? Wonder Woman by Le- Leah Bardugo, mm-hmm. which my wife read and loved. I think there's a Zatanna book Well, that coming. could be interesting. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Anyway, right now there's four books out, and we're going to be talking about those uh, a little later in the month, right. so we'll get into that. This one, I enjoy the character of Superman. Mm-hmm. It was a decent story. I think it could have moved a little quicker. Mm-hmm. I would have narrowed the focus a little bit more on the characters that you're okay. there for. But ultimately harmless. Most important uh, question. On the cover, it looks like he's wearing a red uh, sweater vest. Yeah. 
What color is that backpack? Is it blue? I Just a quick point of order. You always confuse cardigans and sweater vests. Vests do not have sleeves. Really? Cardigans well, have yes. sleeves. I know vests don't have open. sleeves, but I thought a sweater vest could have sleeves. No. It's still a vest. It a sweater. No. Okay. No. That's a cardigan. All right. It's a cardigan front. And actually, I think he's just wearing a jacket, but... Um. <laughs> okay. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, uh, everybody. It's a good cover. I like the cover, but... Like I said, the book. My issue yes. is that it looks like he's wearing a blue backpack mm. with a red jacket. Yeah. And it's it's the wrong way. That is messed up. Yeah. That's not right. Yeah. We um, saw, when we saw Tom Welling, he was all in black. Black and camo, like yeah. a camo hat. He, he, he has definitely put aside, yeah. put away his primary colors. He sure has. <laughs> so, he sure has. Yeah. Yes, he has. Um, speaking of celebrities, I also saw the Indigo Girls over the weekend. Hey. It was fun. My wife and I went up to Babeville in Buffalo. Standing room only. Uh, <laughs> stood stood behind the world's tallest man. Well, at least he so, was like he had a shaved head. No, right? he was the world's tallest man with uh, <laughs> big curly hair. So, uh, right. I, I basically spent most of the time seeing an indigo girl. Uh-huh. Rarely did I see them both because right, the world's sure. tallest man. <laughs> but great concert. Uh, it's always nice when you go to a concert of mm-hmm. of a of a duo or a group or whatever who's been around for a while. Right, and they're still good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like uh, that was fun, but. She might want to lower the keys on some of those. Ooh. No, they were great. Ooh. They hit it just right. Right. So it, it was good. We had a lot of fun. Nice. But bookmark. <laughs> All right. uh, I read The Apprentice by Tess Gerritsen. Tess Gerritsen, who we also interviewed. And you can find our interview with Tess and other uh, women authors I'm... in our spotlight on yeah. the SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash all the books. But this <laughs> is about The Apprentice, which is book two of the Rizzoli and Isles series. And really, Only book two? Yeah. How many are there? I don't know. 239 or something like oh, that. Oh, 10. Uh, I sort of have read these out of order, Mm. but this is really the first book, uh, which is called The Surgeon, only has Mm. Rizzoli, the detective in it. And this is really like a straight up sequel to that book. And then Dr. Isles is added in. Mm. So I kind of wonder if we talk to Tess again, I want to ask if she was intending to start a series Mm. or if this was just a one off sequel to a book that then was like, oh, these characters have chemistry. Let's keep going. Because that's what it feels like to me. Right. I always liked Tess Gerritsen's writing. The subject matter of this was just too dark for me. Ooh. So I didn't I didn't read the whole thing. I kind of mm-hmm. skipped to the resolution and was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I can't. I don't sure. I don't want to be upset for the next week. <laughs> Only a week? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, so like while I was reading it, oh. I guess. Uh, let's see. And then I read a bunch of graphic novels, so I'll go quickly. I read the uh, Supergirl Escape from the Phantom Zone and Supergirl no, uh, Girl of No Tomorrow. Uh-oh. Part of the Rebirth series, which we have in the collection. Yeah, we have these They both just kind of stink. They just don't. Oh. Supergirl has no agency in these. She's always mm-hmm. waiting for some other character to, like, tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think Batgirl... In the Burnside series, is kind of like quirky and fun, but that works for Batgirl. Supergirl is like literally the most powerful character in DC Comics. So to have her like tying her shoelaces together and like tripping and waiting mm-hmm. for somebody to be like, go here, doesn't play. Just because like you it. can move the moon doesn't mean you know how to tie both your shoelaces. I think we've learned something here today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I read Jeff Smith's uh, Shazam. Shazam! Sorry, everybody. No, no, no. <laughs> it was warranted. Monster Society of Evil. Uh, I don't. I, I didn't really like it. I gave it four stars. I know you did. Back in 2013. It's, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, Shazam. Shazam! Thank you. Spends half his time as a child. So it's just hard to, it's hard to tell a story like that. And I didn't really like it. So, and I'm not, I haven't read Bone or anything. So I don't have any sort of attachment to his art style. So it just. Bone is a fantastic comment, comic. Yeah. That is these days, unfortunately named, but. Hmm. Well, is it, what is it, young adult? 
Uh, no, it's younger than that. Is it? Yeah, I think Nickelodeon almost tried to put a show together. Oh, Maybe yeah. had like Christina Aguilera doing a song for it. Really? And that fell through. Wow. Probably for the best. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Bones great. Bones starts very like uh, comedic and uh, silly, and then it just keeps going. It gets a lot darker. Hmm. Uh, dragons show up. Wow, it's it's great. I think there were some dragons in this as well. And what? And Shazam! Shazam! <laughs> Right. Uh, that's it. That's right. it. No, no, no. You know what? Yeah. I read The Last Age of Magic, which is the brand new Justice League, uh, Justice League Dark. Dark collection. I was so excited that you had this, and then I realized you got it as an advanced reader copy. Digitally. I, d- I did, but I'm talking about it now because it's officially out. So oh. now we can get it. Uh, it's really good. Justice League Dark follows DC's magic characters. Yeah. And this round, they're they're using Wonder Woman in there as well and, mm. and using her quite well. So it's a good use of Wonder Woman, mm. a different use of Wonder Woman, and a good use of some like not A-list characters, including Detective Chimp. It looks like uh, Mr. John Constantine isn't on the cover. He's there. Oh, okay. He's there. I don't know if he's on the cover, but he is part of it. Right. Um, that's it. But I do recommend it. It just came out yeah. last week, I think. So yeah. anyway, check it out. Uh, and then finally, I'm currently reading The Chef by James Patterson and Max oh, Delalo. Tell me that we've been uh, for the la- I did for the last uh, several weeks. This has been in the New York Times bestseller list, and we always make fun of it because he's like a celebrity chef, he's a celebrity chef, detective, yeah. and so yeah. it like, popped uh, up on Overdrive, and who, I was like, check out, I got to know who's the guy with the Mountain Dew colored hair, Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri, yeah, oh. it's like Guy Fieri solving mysteries. Y- uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, in a less annoying way. But what if okay. Right. Scooby Doo and Shaggy convince like convince Freddy and the rest mm-hmm. to turn the mystery machine into a food truck. Mm-hmm. But they're still solving mysteries. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Daphne and Velma do not like being called the rest. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, but you can the rest Scrappy. And that's it. <laughs> that right. is it. I'm sorry. Would I watch that movie? Yes, I would. Yeah. Is Guy Ferrari in it? I think he has been in one. I think he is. I think he was in the one we showed last year, the the gourmet ghosts or whatever. Oh, I think he's a voice in that. That's funny. I guess. All right. Uh, And then the only other thing I was going to mention because the Shazam movie is coming out later this month. Thank you. Uh And DC, the DC app, DC Universe, Mm -hmm. has put out a remastered version of the 70s filmation. Oh, they remastered it? Yeah. Oh. Shazam show, which I've never seen. It's like, this is like a hole in my superhero mm-hmm. watching. I've never seen a second of this show. What was the genie one that Hanna-Barbera did? The two kids. Like, I think they yeah. both had a ring. If they put them, they get it like a genie. Yes. Wasn't that also Shazam? I think it was, I don't know. We'll have to look at it. I don't think it's what, Shazam. But. What was the uh, Shaq movie? Kazam? Hmm, maybe it's Kazam. All right. Anyway, anyway, this series is nonsensical. Uh, it's made by Filmation. Filmation's thing was like, let's make super cheap content, and typically they would do um, uh, cartoons. So like they did the like the Star Trek animated series, they did the Brady Kids animated series. A lot of those like '70s cartoons that are using a lot of the same music and a lot of the same like right. animation overlays. Filmation. So this is a live action show. It's about 20 minutes long. It's a teenage Billy Batson driving around the countryside in a Shazam RV Hmm. with an old man who he simply calls Mentor. They they drive around looking for trouble that they can fix the trouble. Right. They're looking for trouble. And then if things get real out of control, Uh the... I don't even know what they're called. Like uh-huh. the elders or whatever speak to Billy and they're animated. Mm-hmm. They're animated. So it's like, yeah. 
Okay. So they'll like what talk. What year to is this? Seventies. The seventies. So they'll talk to him and they'll be like, you know, you will learn that you might have to, you know, go outside of your comfort zone to solve this problem. And one yeah. of the voices of these like elders who are telling Billy Batson what to do, Mr. Adam West, the late great Adam West. Wow. I don't know. So is this? So then they tell him this, and then he finds kids who were like, "Come on, smoke marijuana," and uh-huh. then oh. he's like. Shazam! And there's <laughs> like one animation for Shazam. It breaks the pot dealer's so head neck or something. It's just Billy standing there with like multicolored lights uh-huh. in the background, and then it switches to the Captain Marvel guy who is just uh-huh. standing there, like completely stone faced. Right? No, it's not stone dynamic. He's not like yeah. He's just yeah. like. Uh, so just is staring. this is this a contemporary? And then he goes and he solves some things, and then it wraps up, and then afterwards, Captain Marvel is like. Hi everyone, I'm Captain Marvel. You know, today Billy found out, <laughs> and it ends with like a moral. Is is this a contemporary <laughs> to like Incredible Hulk and ISIS? It is it, with ISIS. Yeah, the, the ISIS, uh, uh, not the terrorist cell, but the right. <laughs> but the uh, '70s live action is right. a spinoff from Shazam. What? Yeah, and ISIS is in it, uh-huh. and then Billy is also Billy and Captain Marvel are in the ISIS show a couple of times as well. So this is a case where the spinoff became more popular. I guess one of the rare instances. Well, uh, no, yeah. I don't even think that's true because ISIS doesn't have a lot of episodes, and Shazam is three full seasons. Yeah, but I never hear anyone. T- I still yeah. know people who will talk about like because it's weird. He's yeah. just like running around in an RV. So I don't know. My son and I have is been watching Wonder it Woman together, on so. at the same time. Yeah, I think it is contemporary so, Wonder Woman. So but there's DC's no crossovers. Like just doing. Oh, they, they, see, that's a mistake. They yeah. should have had a crossover. That would probably great. It would have been great. Anyway, if you have the DC app and can watch the Shazam show, it Shazam. might be worth just looking at it yeah. because it's very odd. And I think it is available on certain DVDs. But and if you're wondering anyway, what the Hanna Barbera genie cartoon was, oh, I was. was Shazam. Shazam. It's Shazam. Two yes. Z's. Yes. It's a giant genie that's summoned by I think a brother and sister. Yeah. But I don't know. They could be love. Interest. I remember that show. So. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. That was a fun one. Great. I think I just watched every Hanna-Barbera cartoon yeah. under the sun when I was a child. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So, All right. Uh, oh, hey, you know what? What? I also interlibrary loaned the first volume of G.I. Joe Classic. Did you? And I was going to read it. And uh-huh. I started it and was like, oh, this isn't for me. Really? Yeah, so uh, I, didn't, I didn't finish it. Uh, I was hoping to take this journey with you. But it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't really get going until maybe the second, third volume. Okay. So but that, uh, I can say that because I just finished the fifth volume. Wow. You are committed. Uh, look, I forget the net guy's name, the villain, but yeah. they they just they put together uh, the DNA of a bunch of like historical leaders, and now they've created a oh uh, Septor, I think his name is Serpator. I think it's Serpator. Serpator. Yes. Well, that makes sense. It's like a serpent, uh, like a cobra. Cobra Commander's goal was to create a powerful soldier, okay. but he realized all the best soldiers of ancient time became leaders. Okay. Who are. Pr- who now he might try to usurp, 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 uh-huh. uh, commander's uh, position as commander. Wow! So there's going to be, I think there's supposed to be like a civil war coming up between. Oh, these here two. he is. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking at him right now. So um, I was telling you this. We were having lunch, and I was telling you that I can look at a page of the GI Joe cast, yes. and I couldn't tell you a single GI Joe <gasps> because it's like this is Ripcord and this is Bulldozer and this is Frogface yes. and this is Billy Jean. You know what? What? I had this action figure. Of Serpator? Serpator. Congratulations. Yes, I did. did. Um, Cobra Emperor. Wow. Cobra Emperor. Codename Serpator. Yeah. Do you have that for the stream? Because I think people need to see this. It's on the cover. Yeah, Serpator is. All right, good. Um, 
so yeah, I can just look at the regular cast of G.I. Joe and I'm like, I don't know who any of these are. I couldn't like tell you their name because they're all just like, they have these names, <laughs> but no visual <laughs> cues. It's yeah. just like, oh wait, that's the blonde one. I think he's yeah. ripcord. And so, but then you get to the, you get to the bad guys, you get to the Cobra team and it's just like every, this guy's got a metal face yeah. this guy it's just the bad guys are just so much yeah. more interesting well this is what cracked me up in the first volume because they're like we got to get the gi joes together right and it shows the list of them and it uh-huh. just i think any word you say could be yeah. a gi joe code yep. name yep you know what Necktie. i mean <laughs> yeah. pencil sharpener yep <laughs> scratch yep big scratch <laughs> big scratch yeah he trains scratch. Yeah, big, big scratch and scratch um coat hanger yeah so if i was a kid rocket and, pants and you gave right. me like four gi joes i'd be like yeah. great four, roller skate four so. whatevers mm-hmm. but if you gave me four cobra commanders like oh yeah. yeah yeah so uh yeah yeah they mostly just look like tom welling in the dark colors and the yeah. camo. You know. but what's cool uh, but the other thing that cobra has going for it besides having a more visually interesting cast yeah is that they have more stuff just going on like gi joe's like oh cobra's back and then yeah. goes and stops them whereas like cobra is dealing yeah. with like betrayals and backstab. i yeah. if this was just a cobra book apparently in book 17 megatron's on the cover wow so the 80s are alive in my good i guess they are uh i i sometimes i like to sit back and picture what the people who tuned in to listen to elizabeth elo talk are thinking <laughs> right now Sorry, as buddy. we're talking about serpentor but i promise you it is coming and it is a good interview we should have asked her about G.I. Joe. We should have asked her about well, the death of Wolverine. I sent her a message. Because yeah. I just read it. That's what you read next? Yeah. Right. I finished reading some run-ups to the Wolverine, the death of Wolverine, and then I read the four-issue volume of Death of Wolverine. Uh, all of it pretty lackluster. Mm. Death of Wolverine's only four issues, and it still feels very frantic, and at the end, Wolverine does die-ish. Whoa. Um, but it's all... it. None of it feels important. It just kind of happens and you can just kind of feel like i don't know you can tell he's going from point a to point b to point c so he can get to the death not that Mm -hmm. the death happens because of anything yeah so i don't know it's it's i mean i still felt a kind of sadness but now also i've taken me so long to read this he's back in the comics anyway welcome but yeah, I don't know. It's just okay it's skippable. You've been on a bit of a, a a novel hiatus. Yeah. Haven't you? Yeah. It's hard when that happens. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. I'm about like halfway through Caves of Steel. Oh. So. Which we're doing for our sci-fi book club. Yeah. Uh, Which th- reminds Thursday. me, that's, that's a good point to, to mention, the, the passing of Janet Asimov. Oh, yeah. Who uh, was, was quite a prolific author uh, mm-hmm. long before she met up with uh, Isaac Asimov. And then they worked on the Norby series together for a long time. And she continued to cultivate that sort of thing after the passing of Isaac Asimov. But she's got a pretty robust collection out there as well so yeah yeah sad to hear that um yeah so halfway through you didn't like this book very much i i think it's very of its time i yeah, guess that's you true. know i i think the concepts are cool mm-hmm. the execution was you definitely i've told this to my wife because she's reading it too you have to remember that he's writing a word count because mm. this is being serialized in yeah. magazines and you also have to remember it's like what the 40s 50s 50s is doing think, this yeah. and so they still didn't realize that women were people <laughs> back yeah. then in these yeah. books. I know. I did spend a lot of time, too, just thinking, like, how are we still having this conversation? Yeah. yeah. Can we just? Yeah, there's there's an unfortunate chapter about his wife's name. Yeah. That's just like, oh, boy. Yeah. This 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 is the most character you could give, yeah. give her, huh? Yeah. Uh, First, the book was originally serialized in Galaxy Magazine in 1953 yeah. and then yeah. came out hardcover the following there's year. A, there's definitely a lot of, uh, uh, what's uh, I don't know, time 
time wasting. Yes. With uh, certain yep. characters. And stretch. Yeah. And stretch. Yep. No, no, no. Vamp. Don't tell him just Vamp. yet. Yeah. 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 A lot of vamping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but um, some of it actually is still pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. So I think it'll be a good for discussion anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's okay. It. Should we move into some book news? Yeah. All right. I guess that's awards then. Let's huh? do it. Yeah. Fire up the old theme song. So first, I want to mention the Barnes and Noble. Was that what we used on our travel log episode? No, we used the sexy new book club thing. Oh right, the right. one that's like yeah, Our thanks to Ben Lehman who composed yeah. all the music for the show and then moved to China. Yeah, what the heck, Ben? So we Come can't back. get any music from him. I know. I wonder if he's listening right now. Yeah. Let's tell some embarrassing facts about him and then see how long it takes him to be like, hey. Then we'll know. Yeah. Then we'll know. That'll be the uh, real test. Ben wet his pants three years of college yeah and everybody knew it yeah but nobody said anything about it right yep. yeah refused to yeah yeah yep. anyway uh barnes and noble's discover award so this is this is where barnes and noble pulls aside some new authors and is like hey check this out <laughs> so you can find the whole list in barnes and uh, and you can check out all their past winners and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention the winner for fiction and nonfiction. All right, so who won fiction? Fiction is Only Killers and Thieves by Paul Howarth. We can't stop thinking about this classic and timeless story of brothers and revenge, injustice and honor that reminded us of epic stories like Cormac McCarthy's Border Trilogy and The Sun by Philip Meyer. The, the Sun. Is, the Sun is pretty epic. I read that. We did that for a book club. Uh, Discover alum and best-selling author Paulette Giles loves Paul Howard's debut novel as much as the Discover Selection Committee readers do. Mm. Paulette Giles wrote uh, News of the World, another very well-received book, which we also did for a book club. So this is uh, Only Killers and Thieves uh, by Paul Howarth. And the winner for nonfiction was Heavy, an American memoir by Keyes Lehman. No relation to Ben Lame and the Bedwetter. <laughs> uh, Got him. <laughs> from the Los Angeles Times. A deeply personal and unforgettable book from a fearless writer. This revelatory, critically acclaimed memoir not only exposes what a lifetime of secrets, lies, and deception mm. does to a man, it also delivers a powerful story of truth, love, and freedom. One of the most important and intense books of the year. Unyielding, profoundly original, and utterly heartbreaking. Mm. Sounds uh, like a bummer. Yeah, it does. It does. I'll give you quickly the honorable mentions here, which are second place, There, There by Tommy Orange. Mm. Uh, second place for nonfiction, American Prison by there, Shane There, There is what they had to say to Tommy Orange I when he got did. second place. Yeah. But still good. Third place for fiction, A Place for Us by Fatima Farin Mirza. Mm. Third place for nonfiction, Educated by Tara Westover. Ooh. So you can find those again at barnesandnoble.com and we will... Spoiler, we're going to talk about Educated again. We sure are. We're going to put that on the old uh, Twitter page as yeah. well. So you can check that out. Uh, the that's the Barnes & Noble Discover Awards. But then there was also the 2019 Audi Awards. Audi Awards. Which and are not the same as like an uh, Audi, the car. What's the car? An no, Audi. Like an Audi. Audi. Say a little an bit Audi Award. Audi Award, yes. So this is specifically, uh, it's not really about the contents of the book mm. so much as it is about the overall presentation of the audio book, which mm. uh, we discuss this quite often in a book club because sometimes you'll just have, it can go either way. Yeah. It can make a bad book better or mm-hmm. it can make a pretty good book worse mm. or it can just make everything bad. Yeah. Uh, so here, here are a couple of the top, uh, the top prices Hit it. here. Audio book of the year. I'm going to start right at the top. Yeah, sure. Okay. Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adiyami, uh, narrated by Bonnie Turpin, published by Macmillan Audio. Mm. This is this has been 
a pretty popular book across yeah. all mediums. Yeah, I would say it won some other things too. Was it was up for Goodreads Choice Awards? I, know. Uh, I think so. Yeah. 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 Uh, the best audio drama, The Ooh. Martian Invasion of Earth. Yeah, okay. Is this? It says it's just a dramatic uh, dramatization of H.G. Wells' classic novel. So is this just like they, instead of saying like, I don't know, we were watching, listening to the radio, they put we were watching TV or we were live streaming YouTube. I don't, you know, I no, no. Like is this set? I don't think that it's set in contemporary times. No, okay. I think it's just set when it was. Hmm. Uh, Martian Invasion of Earth by H.G. Wells, dramatized by Nicholas Briggs, and narrated by Richard Armitage and Lucy Briggs Owen, published by Big Finish Productions. Richard so, Armitage played uh, Oakenshield in The Hobbit. Ah, uh, okay. I knew I recognized the name. Yes. So the difference here would be an audiobook is just a straight reading of the yeah. book, just verbatim reading of mm-hmm. the book. And an audio drama would be a dramatized With some script sound version, sound effects, some yeah. music, no like she said after that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. I listened to the Maltese Falcon dramatization ones okay so, and it, when they were in a cafe it was annoying because you just mm-hmm. kept hearing cafe sounds You're like i'll yes. try to listen to the maltese falcon yes so uh some of the finalists i should have mentioned finalists for both of these so i'm oh. going to go back to book of the year uh finalists for book of the year that didn't make it were an american marriage by tiari jones <gasps> uh, this is the one i was just talking about because it is it has three separate narrators and uh, they really they do a great job they bring it home the beastie boys book by michael diamond and oh, right. horowitz <laughs> okay calypso written and narrated by david sedaris that's an excellent book, but yeah. I think it's I think what hurt it because Sedaris's uh, reading of those are perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are they really are, but that one is so much a part of his like canon that you really it's not very approachable to just pick up. Mm. So that's probably what okay. hurt it. The Good Neighbor by Maxwell King, narrated by Lavar Burton. Oh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michael McNamara. Lavar Burton would be a good neighbor narrator or a good neighbor. A good neighbor in general. You think? Yeah, living next to LeVar Burton. I I would gladly do it, sure. You yeah. think he'd kind of be like annoying? Like no, he's like, I don't "Oh, think hey, so. uh that uh that tree, it's growing on my side again. <laughs> you could just no. you could just take care of it." I don't pal. think so. Okay, no. I think he's easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> uh we have a double we have a double tie here for uh, uh best autobiography/memoir oh, yes. slash memoir and best female narrator. <gasps> Uh, both go to Educated by Tara Westover, narrated by Julia Whelan. Yay. Uh, Best Male Narrator, Watchers by Dean Kuntz, narrated by Eduardo Ballerini, published by Brilliance Publishing. Mm. Uh, Business and Personal Development, How to Be Heard by Julian Treasure, narrated by Julian Treasure. Yay. That is a slippery slope right there, letting the author do the audio book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no more, it's no more obvious than, uh, with a, with a series of unfortunate events mm-hmm. series starts with Tim Curry, mm-hmm. who's great, nails it, knocks it out of the park midway through switches to let me snick it, Daniel Handler, uh, real bad. Mm. And they actually got Tim Curry to come back and finish them. Weird. Uh, I know. Uh, they learned a lesson. Yeah. Uh, any other, any other these you want to mention? I guess we should mention fantasy. Which uh, the winner was Spinning Silver by Naomi Spinning Novik, Silver. narrated by Lisa Flanagan. Yeah. Uh, Fiction went to oh. Tattooists of Auschwitz by yeah. Heather Morris, narrated by Richard Armitage again. Oh, look at him. Yep. Uh, thriller and Mystery, we should probably mention since Let's do it. people love those around here. They do. What are they? Oh, you want. <laughs> oh, you don't have it? No. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not I got the covers. Sure, oh, sure, Young sure. Adult goes to Sadie, uh, Courtney Summers, and we. That was also at the uh, ALA Awards mm-hmm. that won. And you yep. didn't like the audio of this. The problem with the audiobook, I think, is that there's so much going on that it's not the type that you can just be, like, going about your business. Mm-hmm. If you really have to, like, sit down and listen to it as if okay. you're, like, watching a movie. Okay. 
So it is a lot, it's well produced, I think, but I, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. But you asked about mystery, and the winner is The Punishment She Deserves by Elizabeth George, narrated by Simon Vance. Yeah. Uh, and then so Thriller fun. was uh, Crimson Lake by mm-hmm. Candace Fox. Yep. So for all you thriller and mystery junkies out there, those are apparently That's the best. That's interesting. Candace Fox is writing the uh, Harriet Blue series with James Patterson right now. So branching out on Harriet her own. Blue? NYPD um, Blue? No, no. It's like a 50-50 is one of them. Oh, okay. Liar, liar. Not the Jim <gasps> Carrey movie. Oh. So anyway, you can find that in the full list at mm. audiopub.org. Nice. I love a good audiobook. Mm. That's how I get through a lot Life. of Like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. All right. That's going to do it for that. Let's talk New York Times bestsellers. Oh, Middle School was Sunny. Sorry. Oh, I, yeah. I brought that down, too. Okay. Um, mainly because we're reading Ghost in one of our in our seventh grade book club. Oh, which okay. Which the first of that. That's Jason Reynolds. Oh, yeah. So, okay. And that's the fourth book, I think. So I thought that was kind of impressive. That is still... Yeah. ...was nominated. Narrated by Guy Lockard. <gasps> wow. All right. You okay. ready to New York Times us? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I did sound really excited. You did. Well... Uh, all right, so this is the New York Times bestsellers list for hardcover fiction. Um, with apologies to George R. R. Martin, who's all the way down at number 15 with Fire and Blood. Anyway, uh, number 10, Don Winslow's The Border, the third book in the Power of the Dog series. Ooh. Art Keller fights to keep drugs out of the country, and it has taken a complicated turn on The Border. I just like your reading of that. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, number nine is new this week, The Island of Sea Women by Lisa C. Yes. That's Barnes & Noble's book club pick this month. Well, it's about the friendship over uh, the friendship over many decades of two female divers from the Korean island of uh, Jeju is pushed to a breaking point. I'm planning on uh, uh, reading this. I just haven't got my copy yet. Okay. Uh, number eight is The Silent Patient. Theo Faber looks into a mystery of a famous painter who stops speaking after shooting her husband. This is by Alex. Oh, wow. I skipped it, and then I went back. Alex McKellis. <laughs> With apologies to Alex. Yeah. I can't. I've tried. Yeah. Go back and listen to previous episodes. And I have has, tried. You can't accuse him of having not tried. <laughs> number seven. New this week, The Malta Exchange by Steve Barry. The 14th Steve book Barry. in the Cotton Malone series, the yep. former Justice Department operative, tangles with a rogue cardinal in an ancient sect of knights. <laughs> okay. Just imagine like a cardinal in his red getup, like running away yeah. during like a car chase. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh no, that cardinal's yeah. gone rogue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So what if this is like uh, this is like Mission Impossible and the Cardinal pulls off his Cardinal hat? Oh. It's Tom Cruise. Yes. Tom Cruise himself. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan Hunt is the yeah. Cardinal. Well, he got kicked to the curb on Jack Reacher, so he yeah. might as well. He's, he's yeah. another, he's another yeah. thing. You've gone rogue too many times. Yeah. Cardinal version of Ethan Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> you choked in the end there, but it was strong leading up to. Thank you. Yep. Uh, number whatever. Uh, six. Sorry, number six. <laughs> uh, the Last Romantics by Tarek Conklin. A family crisis tests the bonds and ideals of a renowned poet and her siblings. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Uh, didn't you read this? Which one is it? The Romantics. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I did. And I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. That's the one that has is set in sort of a like near future dystopia. Mm. Oh. And most of it is... Uh, Backdrop for okay. that? Interesting. I hmm. liked it. Number five, The Chef by James Patterson and Max DeLeo. Reading it right Delio. now. 
Reading it right now. Caleb Rooney, a police detective and celebrity food truck chef, must clear his name of murder ag- allegations. So, mm. huh? Cool. Yeah. Huh? What? I haven't gotten to any murder allegations. So, how far are you? You just spoiled it. Um, I don't know. I'm three hours into a ten-hour audiobook. Three hours, and they still haven't been like, "Hey, no did murder. you commit a murder?" There's no murder. Yeah. So it's just been celebrity chef. <laughs> yeah, he's just Dumb. been chefing mostly for yeah. three hours. Well, he's uh, <laughs> he. Oh, yeah. You know what? I guess I guess he's under investigation for a police shooting, but he just resigns from the force and everything's fine. So oh. maybe that's what they mean. Okay. So wait. So this makes it sound like he's going to go like on the run for these murder allegations. And the way you describe it is, he had to quit the force, and now you've got ten he's hours of celebrity, celebrity chef. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I was having a pretty good time with him. With him just food trucking around. Yeah. And then his old boss comes back. It's like I need you for one more case. And I'm like, no, let's see what he puts <laughs> in that gumbo. I'm curious. All right. I'm curious. That's that's a that's a twist, right? Uh, there. Yeah, it is. It is certainly number a twist. four. Well, I'll keep you posted. Okay. Number four, new this week, Silent Night by Danielle Steele. After tragedy strikes, a child TV star loses her memory and ability to speak. What? He's weird. Because the other one is about the lady who can't speak. Yeah. There's a lot of husband killing. Uh-huh. There's a lot of people going mute yeah. unexpectedly. Yeah. A lot of celebrity chefs. It's just one, but it feels like a lot. <laughs> uh, number three, new this week, Daisy Jones celebrity and chef. the Six. Hey, hey. Yes. You know, I read this quite a while ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was, uh, you might remember, we got this uh, as an advanced screener at the ALA conference. Yeah. And I devoured it quickly. Yeah. And it's written as a as told to memoir about a, mm-hmm. a fictional 60s band. But it's just, it's so dead on that it feels like it's real. Right. You know? I, for me, it does some character things towards the end that is just a real... Bummer. Some head scratchers that mm. just make you think like, well, that's stupid. Like, why didn't someone fix that? Yeah. So I still recommend the book, and I think that you'll know just what I mean when you uh, okay. when you read it. But it is it is a very good read this and unique. It's very unique. Hmm. This is by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's a fictional oral uh, history charting the rise and fall of a '70s rock and roll band, just like Nick said. Yeah, I did. I think we, I said '60s. We should have trusted him. Uh, number two is also new this week. Greg Isles has Cemetery Road. The journalist Marshall McEwen returns to his hometown, which is shaken by two deaths in an economic... It's, ec- no, it's not stirred, is it? No. Okay. Uh, shaken by two deaths okay. and an economy on the brink. So, And then number one is Where the Crawdads Sing. Surprising no one. <laughs> so Where the Crawdads Sings by Delia Owens. Uh, a woman who survived alone in the marsh becomes a murder suspect. Has been here for 27 weeks. Mm-hmm. It's almost half a year. It Wait. is. It is half a year. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Where the Crawdads Sing. That's right. Reese Witherspoon has really done it again. Yeah, I guess she has. Done it again? She's done it again. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for the New York Times bestseller list. Any of those that you want to read? Out of these? Might, I guess I might like the Daisy Jones. You might and the dig Six. Daisy Jones. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't care for any James Patterson whatsoever, but. Depending on you know, depending on how the chef goes, yeah. Maybe you know, I've never chef. read um, one of his collaborations with Max Delalo, and it seems good. It seems pretty strong, right? Like I think the writing is improved over some of the other uh, hacks. What, Eric? That's so rude. Don't say, don't I didn't say, say that. it. I you. I, we all heard I, you no. say it. We all heard you. No. Say it. All right. Let's stop talking about a bad writer and talk about a good writer. Are you ready? Yeah. Roll that beautiful music. Against your 
presents Author Spotlight. So, as I mentioned, about a year ago, we sat down and had a great phone interview with Elizabeth Elo, author of North of Boston. At that time, she said, oh, I'm working on this new one. It's set in Siberia. The main character is a doctor. And so we were intrigued. You know, and then we started seeing a little bit of information about this. So we reached out again because she said she'd be happy to come back. Reached out again. And she was like, yes, let's do it. So she sent us some review copies. Uh, I, I zipped right through it. was very impressed with it. Uh, and she was uh, she was generous enough to sit down and, and do a nice uh, another interview with us. Yeah. So now you want to roll? Now it? I can play. Let's the do it. Yeah. Eric and I are here with Elizabeth Elo, author of the new book Finding Katerina M. Uh, we spoke to her last year about North of Boston, and when we had her on the mic last time, we got her to commit to coming back. So here she is, Elizabeth. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Nick. I'm happy to be here. Great. Uh, well, we've got about five questions for you, but I'm curious now. When when we spoke last year, uh, North of Boston had been out for a while, but right now you're like you're right in the thick of it because Finding Katerina M comes out the 19th. So I'm a little curious, like what is this, what is this part like? You know, when the book's about to come out, are you doing a lot of press? Are you doing a lot of tours and interviews and that sort of thing, or or what's going on in in your life right now? Well, I heard someone describe it as the silence before the silence. <laughs> you know, because, because publication actually doesn't really change anything. It just means that people can now buy the book um, on their retail site, Amazon, or they can go into maybe some bookstores and buy it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything to me. I'm oh, okay. still sitting here, um, <laughs> you know, not fe- feeling any particular uh, effects from that. So um, the period before publication is probably the most uh, busy and sort of stressful because, yes, I'm doing blog, uh, guest blogs, and, and I'm talking to people like you, and that's all really fun. But I'm also, sadly, I hate to admit it, I'm watching my Goodreads reviews. I'm watching. To see <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see if, you know, I'm checking my email, right. if any reviews have come in. You know, it's just kind of, I can't wait for the book to be published. When right. it's published, at that point, I say, okay, it's over now. I'm done. Well, good. Well, you bring up reviews. It seems to me that everything I've read has been very positive so far. So congratulations. That's exciting. Well, thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to dive in with some questions here. So last year when we were talking, uh, you said that, that when you were writing North of Boston, that you had Perio's voice just right in your head. And that was a really, you know, that kind of drove the plot. And you, you liked what she had to say. And, and you were going right along with her. And I'm wondering... How does it differ with a character like Natalie March? Because I think Perio was a lot, she was a lot funnier, she was a lot warmer, whereas Natalie's a little bit more, you know, serious and, and to the point. So how does that change for you? Uh, well, it changed because as I was writing Finding Katerina M, I was, you know, following Natalie March, and I, I'll admit I was saying to, to myself, boy, this character isn't as, as appealing, and, you know, is that going to change um, you know, how the book is received. And I think to some extent it does. I think people read North of Boston really to read about Perio and to be in her head and to just enjoy her as a main character. Um, but I also think that Natalie is, for me, a more mature character. One, she is older, but also, you know, I'm not using her personality um, as an excuse in the book. Mm. I'm writing a plot, a setting, I'm writing a, a novel that depends on all aspects of a novel to succeed and not just on this uh, quirky, wonderful, you know, first-person voice. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think I think you're right when you say she's a more mature character, even just at, at their different life stages. I mean, Natalie's a doctor, you know, she's much further along in, in her career. So it makes sense that she's a little bit more grounded. But is that is that more difficult to write a character like that? Um, well, it is if you're good at voicey characters, which I think I am, mm-hmm. and or I was in North of Boston, and now all of a sudden I don't have that to rely on. Mm-hmm. I can't just get by on the voice. Um, so she's more difficult to write, but also um, I think she's capable of having a different kind of story because she's an observer. She's an observant. She's sci- she's a scientist basically. She's a mm-hmm. doctor. She doesn't draw attention to herself. Um, she's not, you know, charming anybody, um, but she is observing quite a bit, and she's able to take in a lot more of the world and really be effective in the world to a much greater degree than Pirio was, because Pirio had issues. So people who mm-hmm. have issues, they're always sort of half in their own head struggling with their issues. Right. You know, and Natalie isn't there. She's 100% in the action of the book. Uh, so that makes her, I think, a more, almost a stronger character. Uh, than Perio was, although everybody called Perio strong as well. Well, I think they uh, were. I think they're both. I think they're just both strong women who see what needs to get done and just do it, and they go about it in different ways. But I think that core strength is similar. Yes, yes, I think that's true, and I think it's really important to have women characters who who are just in the book to do what needs to be done. I was thinking about this the other day about you know thrillers and male characters versus female characters, and uh, someone I think it was Karen Slaughter wrote an essay in which she said that you know female characters can't be just strong; they don't go on to the wings of airplanes and dangle at thirty thousand feet right. and you know do all these amazing things. On the other hand. I think Natalie, she's not that, you know, crazy, you know, as a thriller character, but she's pretty strong, and she gets herself into some pretty tough situations and gets out of them, and in that respect, she's a little bit like, you know, a male uh, thriller character, um, although, to me, much more real. Yeah, well, it seems like Eric and I have been joking about this for about a year now, because it seems like a lot of the um, the female protagonists that you see in these thrillers, things like Girl on the Train and all that, they're they're always coming from more of like a damaged place, uh, and so it's, that's what I like about Natalie is that she's she's not, she's just curious and strong and like wants to get to the bottom of this mystery. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, you see. Um, a lot of female characters, they're either damaged right. um, or they're in some kind of terrible relationship with men. You know, they're, it's so often and so frequent that women characters are defined by their relationships with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a, you know, a, a trope for women. But Natalie is, you know, she's, she's her own, uh, you know, self. And in that respect, I think she is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I think that she's, I'm proud of that aspect of her. Yeah, I, I agree. I think she, I think she's a wonderful character. All right, Eric, your turn. Get in here. Hi there. So um, with Finding Katarine M, uh, it takes place in and around Siberia. So um, what kind of research did you do? Did you get to travel um, around to that area in Russia and everything? Or, uh, or was it a lot of stay-at-home research? And did the research change what you originally had planned when you were writing the novel? Well, yes, to all those questions. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we 
when you write about Russia, someplace like Russia, it's so different from anything that I know. And I was really a little bit intimidated about the prospect of writing about it. Right. And so first I was online, and then I was reading books, and I started following this blog of a guy um, who has a blog about Siberia and, and traveling in Siberia. And I finally contacted him, asked him, asked him a couple of questions. And then he said to me, he said, well, why don't you come and visit? Hey. <laughs> and I thought, hey, you know, and he sure. said, look, I can... I could connect you with a woman who you could stay at her house. She can be your translator and your guide. Wow. And I started looking into it. It wasn't that expensive. And um, I went. And there I was in the middle of Yakutsk, which is a city in northeastern Siberia. It's right in the middle of Siberia. Mm -hmm. And if you ever played the board game Risk, right. you will see that city yep. <laughs> in the middle of, like, nowhere. Sure. You know, it's the, the one city. And, in fact, the only in the wintertime, you can only get there by plane or by the frozen river. Um, so it, it's, it's not a place where a lot of Westerners go. Right. And um, I was thrilled to be there. And it was exciting, and it was really interesting. And my friend, my guide, um, uh, her name is Nadia, and she took me out to uh, a little village of uh, Saha. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the native groups in Siberia. There are a bunch of native groups in Siberia. And um, and then ethnic Russians, but surprisingly, uh, a varied mix of, of different groups. And the group, her group, called Saha, S-A-K-H-A, is really a group of uh, originally from Turkey or Turkic origin. Okay. And um, they were terrific to me, and they welcomed me, and I stayed in the Babarnia, which I describe in the book, which is an eight-octagonal sort of cabin. Mm-hmm with sleeping pallets around the, you know, seven of the sides, a central fire pit with the smoke going up to an open, uh, you know, uh, ceiling or roof. Right. And everything that I describe in that portion of the book is completely accurate and based on my travels there. All right. So for your next book, are you going to plan it around maybe Hawaii or uh, the Bahamas <laughs> then? I'm going to the south of France. Okay. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be uh, going to a lot of nice restaurants. No, uh, no I, love, I love Russia and I love Siberia because it's like a frontier. And oh, it's, yeah. it's the kind of place that most Westerners don't know anything about. Yep. Um, it's almost more mysterious to us than any place else. Yeah. Maybe parts of China or Mongolia, you know, but, uh, you know, and that's what attracted me to it, right. really. So sticking with this book, I... You know, I, I find it kind of difficult to describe, you know, if somebody asked me, well, what genre is it? And I guess I would probably say thriller. But one of the things I liked best about reading it was that I felt like I sort of I would settle in and be like, OK, now I, I get what kind of book this is. I get where we're going. And then something would drastically change the situation that Natalie was in. And suddenly, like it's going in a direction that I never anticipated. And I thought that that happened really successfully multiple times throughout the book where you sort of like, OK, I, g I get where we're at. I get the type of book I'm reading. And then, boom, we go off in a different direction. So yeah. I was really impressed yeah. with that. And I was wondering if if that was something you set out to do to make it to give it that sort of like a wild ride feel. And like, how did you do that? Like, how, how did you make that work so well? Well, um, first of all, it is different, and mm -hmm. 
and that has its positive and, and negative uh, impacts. Um, it's different, and I want to read a different a book that's different. Sure. I'm easily bored. I'm easily <laughs> bored with conventions. There's a lot of books that I pick up and put down again, and I wanted to write something that I personally would read and mm-hmm. that I would stick with all the way through. So there was that, and. Um, you know, and then the book just evolved. You know, I saw it as something that happened in parts. You know, there were basically five or six parts to it. And um, there was a lot that I wanted to, to deal with, that I wanted to touch on about Siberia, um, its history, its terrible history, its present um, situation with the native peoples. Um, there's there's so much there. And, and mostly I wanted to have a journey, kind of a hero's journey, um, in which a female protagonist had all the same kinds of adventures as, you know, not as Odysseus, for example, um, or, you know, any of the, you know, classic characters like that, but sort of. I mean, I wanted it to be sort of an epic uh, journey. Yeah, well, I think you succeeded. I don't want to give away any of, the, any of the things that happened, but there were a couple times where I was like, oh, wow, you know, because it was, it was just unexpected. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, and you know, there's another thing that I wanted to mention here too, and that is, I think it was Henry James who said that he described the novel as a baggy monster, <laughs> something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but the and and other times, I think he also described the the big. Someone described it as the the middle as this big mushy middle, <laughs> you know. And that's when I generally stop reading if I'm going to stop reading a book, uh-huh. because the middle gets mushy. Yeah. And so I, I really structured it so that there wouldn't be any mushiness. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, it's, it's hard to sort of pick, other than like a page count, it's hard to pick where you're in the middle of the story because we keep having these different uh, change of venues and things. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun to read. Great. Um, so last year when we were discussing North of Boston, you mentioned that you had to edit out a good chunk of the book. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested if... Uh, any of what you edited out, you found uh, a place for in your new book, whether just research or uh, or plot or anything like that, if you were able to transplant it over to the new one? Oh, no, n- nothing at all. Um, because, again, the books are so different and the characters are so different. Okay. And, you know, I have a, I have this feeling that every character has his or her own story. Right. And Perio's, char- Perio's story was very dependent on her character mm-hmm. and her personality and her issues, really. Okay. Um, and then Natalie's story, it's just a whole other thing. Right. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a different world entirely. Okay. Was there anything that you had to take out from Finding Katerina M that was that was hard to let go of, or how was the editing process for this one? Well, the editing process, I pretty much, by the time it got to the publisher, it was really pretty clean. Um, I edited a lot. I revised, you know, over and over again, as, sure. as one does when, when you're writing a novel. And basically, I ended up constantly weeding out um, portions of the plot that didn't immediately contribute to the story. Okay. Yeah. The the I feel like the plot of this book is a lot heavier and in some places a lot darker than than North of Boston ever got. Um, what was that experience like for you? Was it was it sort of freeing to really like dig into some of these darker issues? Uh, I would say yes. Um, you know, I think I I definitely have a dark side. Um, I also <laughs> have 
a light side. I mean, the first novel I ever wrote was a was a humorous literary novel that I published in 2006 under a different name entirely. So, um, you know, I, I can go light and I can go dark, but it was very nice to be able to go dark. And, of course, traveling to – and this is something where the setting kind of calls out the tone mm-hmm. because a Westerner's view of Siberia, and this was totally mine and, and of course, totally wrong, but – you know, I think in my imagination, Siberia was a very hard, harsh place. Mm-hmm. And so clearly going in there, you expect, you know, something very dark to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. That, yeah. So I'm wondering, are you the type who you say you're sort of in the eye of the storm right now with waiting for the book to come out? And I'm just wondering, like, uh, do you do you allow yourself a little time to breathe? You know, are you just going to sort of sit down and be glad that that this is over for right now? Or are you already sort of thinking about what you'd want to do next? Well, I'm allowing myself a little time to breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, life has handed me a little time to breathe, basically, because, you know, there's a certain amount of anxiety in this period that really makes it impossible for me to concentrate, really <laughs> yeah. concentrate on anything yeah, else anyway. So, so I feel like I'm molting, <laughs> like I'm, I'm shedding this book. And, and really, literally, I see, I see the book is coming out on Tuesday, March 19th. Wednesday, March 20th is a new life for me. It's a new book. I'm right back to the book that I've, oh, I was okay. writing before. Yeah. But there's about a two-week period, which <laughs> I'm in right now, where I'm just, you know, I, I really can't do I'm not. I'm good for nothing. <laughs> do, you, do you have thoughts about the type of subject matter that you want to tackle in your next work? Well, yeah, I'm already working on a book. It's, um, it's, set in, it's a spy novel set in World War II. Oh. And right now, actually, there's a whole bunch of books like it coming out, which has me a little bit freaked out. Hmm. Um, but it's, you know, again, it's a lot of the, the focus is on, you know, female characters and really the, the amazing things that some of them did, which I don't think have ever really been known mm. as fully as they should be. Well, that sounds I'm great. I'm interested I, in that. Okay. Yeah, I love historical fiction, so I'll, I'll be interested in that one. Uh, well, anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you want to tell us about the book that you think uh, people should know? No, really, that's it. That's it. Um, you know, I think they just need to read it with uh, an open mind as a sort of a different kind of thriller. Okay. You know? Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, uh, I've been saying a lot of good things about it for what that's worth, so hopefully <laughs> you'll you'll pick up some fans here in Wellsville. Well, I hope so, and <laughs> I really appreciate talking to you. Yeah, nice really to talk to you, too. I really appreciate your support for the book. Great. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us, and uh, hopefully when the next one comes out, we can get you back on the mic. All righty. Thanks, right. Nick. Yep, best of luck. All right. Bye bye. Bye. We're back. Okay, we're good. back. Welcome. Thank you. I turned into a chicken Thank there. You, at one point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun to uh, to talk to her again after having like yeah. gotten into it with North of Boston to, yeah. to kind of go back to that and to see to see how the the process has changed since mm-hmm. then. What was nice about this interview was that you know it's ha- it's right now. You know, we were North of Boston had been on a couple of years when we talked, so it's it's kind of neat to be like right in the bubble of the immediacy of the book coming out. So uh, we will have this in our collection. We have the the regular copy as well as the audio book. So um, right. pick this one up, and if you haven't read North of Boston, grab that too. We've got it as mm. well. Uh, anyway, thanks again, Elizabeth, for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk Thank to you, you. And we will 
definitely be calling when this next book comes out. Mm. Uh, historical fiction, it seems like, in the last couple of years, even even just the last year, really, um, it's always been a popular genre, but this last yeah. year, it seems like it's really been a big mm-hmm. uh, focus. You know, a lot of the big books that people are talking about are historical fiction, so yeah. I think your timing is good on that, and uh, yeah. I'm a fan of uh, historical fiction, so I'll yeah. look forward to reading well, it. Kira Knightley well. commissions at least three a year Does on she her, just own, just on her to, own penny. Yeah. Just to get some film work. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. Uh, any library news you want to share? Oh, all right. Uh, library news I want to share. Sure, I do want to share okay, the news. Well, I no, I, I do. Okay. Photo yep. show. Bring in your photos. Yeah. Teens, specifically. No adults. Uh, adults, if you know teens who who take photos, yeah. encourage them to frame those photos sure, sure. and bring them to the library. They can bring up to three framed photos. And then we just fill up our exhibition room with the, uh, the photo works of all the area teens. And not just uh, like Wellsville, the whole surrounding area. You have to... Uh, if you're driving two hours and you want to throw your photos in, sure. Do it. Let's do it. We'll take them. Um, and then also, uh, what day is it we're showing this, Nick? It's the 5th. April 5th, we're showing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The Academy a, Award-winning film. The Academy Award-winning film yes. for Best Animated Feature. Uh, Spider-Man Into Spider-Verse for our after-school movie. Before Friday. that, oh. uh, in, in uh, part of our Women's History Month uh, programming, mm-hmm. we're going to be showing A League of Their Own. Which I only just saw, like this past year. I don't. I, I don't I understand your history. I, know, I, know, I couldn't map out your history at all. I'm, I'm like, well, I'm he sorry. definitely would have watched this. He loves Tom Hanks. He loves these type of movies. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, nope. I just hadn't. Shirley Walker scored that. Who? What else does she do? Uh, the Batman animated series. Oh, okay. You know what? It's a great I better, theme. I better double check that. You're gonna. You're just gonna fact check yourself. Anyway, we're showing that on the 26th at two o'clock. So hope you can join us for that. Uh, the book clubs are currently reading Caves of Steel, which Eric and I are leading together along with Anne, uh, who's here on staff. That's going to be March 26th at 5.30. Uh, so come join us for that. And afterwards, we're reading Andy Weir's Artemis. So we'll have copies of that book at this book club. The Endless Winter Book Club is wrapping up with Big Little Lies. And we're going to meet uh, at 3.30 on Tuesday, Thursday, uh, what is it, April 11th. Over at the Duke, Duke House. So we're going to have some great tea and talk about Big Little Lies, which uh, is an excellent book. So I hope you can join us for that. We've got a kids show coming up in the auditorium on March 23rd. Mm-hmm. Mike Zafudo's animal show. So it's all original music that Mike does and live animals. So Yeah, that's always you know, fun. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. If you don't like it, your heart's made of stone. Uh, Hans Zimmer did the score for League of Their Own. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Well, Hans Zimmer. He does have a Batman connection, so maybe that's what yeah. you were thinking. All right. Uh, but I don't think Why it was. Why am I? We're oh, also, Penny we're also... Marshall. And she just passed away. <laughs> she directed it. Yes. But what does she have to do with Batman the Animated Series? N- nothing. Okay. But it, I think it was close to my research of Shirley Walker's work that was also Penny Marshall's work. And I just, <laughs> I, I got him confused. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm, you know, it was a wild ride and I'm glad to have been here. My apologies. The last to... thing I want to mention <laughs> is that we're doing a presentation on Six Horse Charlie presented by Abby Griffiths, Ooh. part of our Women's History Month programming, Tuesday, March 26th at 6 o'clock p.m. in the Nancy Howe Auditorium. Join us for that as well. I don't know what we're going to be talking about next week, but I do know it's going to be exciting. And Eric will probably have finished Volume 6 of G.I. Joe Classic. So sure. it's going to be a good time. Yeah. So we'll see you then. Yeah.